Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of In No Hurry. I am your host, Cole Douglas Claiborne. So happy to be back with you guys for episode 33, also the start of season two of this podcast. I'm so happy to be back with you guys after about a month away, taking some time to do a little bit of writing on my own, but I am so happy to be back with another podcast episode and a new season. As always, I want to give a shout out to my buddy Ryan Allwart for making the music that we use for this podcast. And if you guys enjoy this music, then you need to go check out Ryan's new album, 72. It's a bunch of covers of 70 songs, and he's been working on it really since the start of this year, and it just came out last week. And I'm just so excited for him and so excited for his new music. So make sure that you go check that out on Spotify, Apple Music, wherever it is that you get your music. Guys, I'm so excited for this new season. The episodes that I've already recorded for this season and some of the guests that I've got lined up are amazing. And this week in particular is one that I've been trying to get on for most of this year. And finally, our schedules worked out to make it happen. My guest this week is Pastor Scott Sauls. He is the pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville and also the author of a new book that just came out at the beginning of June called A Gentle Answer. As we've seen all these race protests and racial issues play out in America over the summer, I think this book is just so timely and such a needed word right now because it speaks to, as Christians, how can we respond in times like this with gentleness and with care and showing the love that Christ has in us? It can be very tempting to get thrown into debates and become vitriolic and combative, especially online. And Scott has just such a great word about how to approach these situations with grace and through a Christian lens and with the gentleness that it speaks about in the Bible. So this conversation is mostly about that. We talk a lot about his book and the situations that we have seen, obviously with George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and the other race issues that have come up over the summer. And I just think you guys are going to really, really enjoy this conversation. I really appreciate what Scott has to say about this. He's written quite a bit about this topic as well. He wrote another book called Jesus Outside the Lines, which my small group actually did for a Bible study and talks about some of these same ideas. But this book obviously was written for 2020, knowing that a presidential election was coming up. And so very timely in that matter, but he also had no idea that what was happening in 2020 was going to happen, but ended up being such a timely and I think necessary book. So I hope you guys enjoy this. I think you will. I think you'll appreciate what Scott has to say about this. So here is my conversation with Pastor Scott Sauls. Well, Scott Sauls is my guest this week. Scott, I'm so glad to get you on the show. I know we've tried a few times earlier this year, and uh, your schedule's kind of slowed down a little bit, at least enough to, to get you here on this show, but but welcome. It's good to have you. Great being with you. Thanks for having me on. So you had a book come out early June, A Gentle Answer, and I think right now this is a, a very timely book for what's going on in our country, both racially and just societally and walk me through, obviously you, you know, this book, you have been in the works for a couple of years. That's kind of how the book publishing world goes. You didn't obviously know that this was going to happen in 2020 when this book came out, but you know, and God's provision came out kind of right smack in the middle of all of this racial unrest and everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. What has been the reception to this book? And um, you know, I guess also what, what was kind of the, the idea, where did the idea come from for this book? And then what's been the reception to it? 
Yeah. Had I known that 2020 would be what it would be, I would have titled the book Armageddon or something <laughs> like that. Um, but yeah, I, I was looking ahead to a, a, what I assumed would be a, another contentious uh, year of political division and discord, uh, especially in the culmination of uh, presidential election uh, coming up in November. And, you know, we're, we're almost to July and we haven't even started talking about the presidential election because of some of the things that you mentioned, you know, uh, black pain uh, and, you know, the outcries, the very legitimate outcries uh, about, um, you know, violence uh, done to, to, to the black community in particular. Um, and how it keeps happening and, and how it's a culture of fear and, and so on. And, and so there's that. Uh, there's COVID-19, obviously, which is throwing everyone into a bit of a tailspin and also giving us another thing to fight about. You know, mm -hmm. should we wear masks? Should we not? Uh, should we open business up now? Should we not? You know, and, and so it's just, you know, new things to resurrect long-standing hostilities and usually break down into left and right leaning uh, causes and sometimes mobs and so ideological mob scenes and and let's see what else uh, murder hornets um, <laughs> asteroid the size of the Empire State Building apparently headed for the earth um, it's just a it's a nerve-wracking year man um, yeah. So yeah, the book turned out to be timely. I'm I'm sad about all the many reasons why it's turned out that way, uh, but I'm I'm thankful to be able to be part of the conversation as well. You, you know, this has just been it's a, it's been a tumultuous year for for everybody, and I think not you know everything on its own would bring its own troubles, but you mentioned obviously COVID nineteen brings its own troubles as well, and I think the unrest and anxiety that has come from that is probably compounded with the racial unrest and everything else that's happening, you know, the economic stuff that's happened with that. And I think we're seeing just a, a larger, um, I don't want to say like vitriolic response to it all, but it just seems like we're all kind of more on edge this year than what we normally would have been when these things have happened. And so, you know, your book is, is, is all about, you know, how, how do we respond in this age of, you know, people are wanting to take sides and all this kind of stuff. And so what have you seen, I guess, um, as an observer of what's happening, you know, how people have responded both societally on the internet, uh, just in various ways to all of this stuff. And maybe, you know, obviously you wrote about it in your book, but, but what as Christians, how should we, and can we respond to the various things? I guess most importantly, I guess the racial unrest, because I think that's kind of the most pressing matter right now, but that, and then obviously with COVID-19 and all that kind of stuff, just how can we respond as Christians with our words and our actions to, uh, maybe, what we see on the internet and what we see societally. Is your audience mostly white or is it mixed or it's mostly, it's, it's mostly white, uh, which I obviously yeah. would love to change. And uh, you know, I, I haven't really discussed the racial stuff uh, yeah. on my show. And so this, you yeah. know, that's this next season is going to have a lot more of those conversations, but yeah. you know, it's just until this happened, frankly, it's, it's not been on my mind, which I feel guilty about because mm. I kind of just live in my own tunnel vision world. And I think that's, that's a good, I, you know, it's a good sense of, Hey, like we need to wake up, even if we are white 
Christians, we need to wake up and talk about these issues. So yeah, I yeah. believe my, my audience is mostly white and yeah. obviously I'd like that to change. Well, I, I think that, you know, it, that who your audience is governs, you know, how the question ought to be engaged. And, you know, the question about engaging, especially uh, the, the current conversations around race, uh, I think, uh, you know, a couple of things come to mind. One is uh, don't ask your black friends to explain things to you unless you've already tried to do the research yourself and you can't find the answer on your own. Mm -hmm. um, uh, because it, 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 it really, uh, at least from what I hear uh, and understand, it, it, it can take a toll. Um, when you're grieving the state of things uh, in society uh, by virtue of being black, and then on top of that, um, you feel like you're constantly having to retell your own narrative and the way that you experience the world over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, one black friend of mine said, you know, I think I'm most people's only black friend. <laughs> and so I'm like the go-to and it, it, it can be tiring. And so, so, you know, I th I'd say, you know, for those of us who really want to lean in, uh, maybe find a black preacher to listen to and, and really dial in and listen, you know, online or wherever. And, uh, try to hear, you know, the current cultural moment in real time through what, you know, black preachers are saying and, uh, you know, read books written by um, thoughtful people of color who are speaking into the current cultural moment. Um, you know, some, some of those people might be Jamar Tisby, um, uh, Tasha, Tasha Morrison, mm -hmm. Um, Austin Channing Brown, Sung Chan Ra, who's a, a you know uh, Asian American who uh, writes on you know uh, what it's like to live in a white majority world from a generally from a minority perspective. Duke Kwan and Greg Thompson are going to come out with a book uh, on these things within the next year, which promises to be outstanding. Um, I'm probably leaving out a ton uh, of the books that line our shelves. Um, you know, the sun does shine by Anthony Ray Hinton, uh, Testament of hope by Martin Luther King jr. I, like I'm, I'm giving you a lot of examples, but um, maybe start with um, letter from a Birmingham jail, which uh, King wrote uh, and he addressed black white tension from his perspective as an incarcerated black man. Uh, and, uh, that was during obviously the civil rights era, but, um, still very current in terms of, of how black people will often describe what it feels like to live in a white majority world as a black person. John Perkins is another one. I can't believe I forgot John Perkins. So, so anything he's written would be great as well. Cause he lived through the civil rights era and is still, you know, still on the move, you know, talking yeah. about these things. Um, so, but to learn, to learn on our own and, and also, you know, Caucasians with each other, uh, because that number one, uh, doesn't exhaust your, your black friends who are constantly, you know, answering the questions. Um, and two, it, it, it frees you up to be more candid, uh, and, and open about how you're feeling, how you're processing things without, um, 
you know, the, the possibility of, of putting a tr trigger out there that could cause pain uh, to, to a person of color. It's best to, to learn about those triggers um, before you enter those conversations with people of color. And, and one way to do that is, is by processing together, you know, with people of the same ethnicity and also, you know, reading and listening and watching documentaries and things like that. But it's a long answer. Uh, but, but I think really right now, being quick to listen and slow to speak is, is a good posture to have. It's biblical uh, and it's a good posture. And don't, um, don't get too overly excited about your newfound wokeness yeah. to where you start, you know, being woke, uh, you know, in every conversation and on social media, because you'll make yourself look like an idiot. Um, truly, like until this conversation has cost us, cost us, uh, and we've learned and gone through the humbling of, of costly engagement, we're not ready to become teachers uh, and educators uh, of, of others on what it means to be woke. Uh, uh, it's, you know, activism should cost you something because it's, it's, it's that costliness that gives credibility to, to activism. I mean, we've got this pattern in all of the, the biblical prophets and the New Testament apostles and disciples, um, their prophetic right, uh, uh, came to them by virtue of being commissioned by Jesus Christ through the avenue of suffering. And, and so be slow to speak on things that you haven't suffered for, I guess would be a summary statement. I could have just said that, um, but. <laughs> That's such a great word right there. And I think what we saw, and I'm sure I was guilty of this to some extent, but I think, you know, and, and we, I think there were some white people that wanted so badly to help to, to rush to the aid of our black friends and people of color during this, you know, especially with the George Floyd situation and everything that's happened since then um, that maybe, you know, some of us may have said or did certain things that perhaps, you know, I don't want to say we're out of line, but like you said, we, you know, we were maybe too quick to speak rather than, than learning. Um, that's such a hard thing. I think for people to do, especially when they, they start to feel emphatically about something and, and, and you've, you've written two books that are both kind of about, you know, um, you know, t not taking sides and a way, you know, a way to approach certain sensitive topics and that kind of thing. Um, you know, why, I guess, why, whenever we are faced with these situations, you mentioned, you know, being slow to speak and quick to listen. Why is that so difficult for us to do? And what's kind of the, the best practice to really retrain our hearts and our brains to, to really focus on that? So I, th I think um, ego has a lot to do with that. Um, we, we're eager to be heard. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with, you know, wanting to be heard. Um, but, but ego has a lot to do with it. Like if, if, we're, if, we're, if we find ourselves in conversations with especially same age, you know, people mm -hmm. uh, doing a whole lot more teaching and instructing and setting the record straight than, than we are active listening, we, we probably ought to take a close look and maybe ask somebody, what's it like for you to experience me uh, in conversations like this? Um, but, you know, I, you take a look at the New Testament, the Pharisees were, were the people who were always, in, always asserting themselves 
rarely if ever positioning themselves to listen to somebody else's perspective. And um, I think there's a lot of strength in, in listening to somebody else's perspective, especially somebody that disagrees with you politically. Uh, Christina Cleveland's a, um, she's a teacher at uh, Duke Divinity School. And uh, she says that if you want to discover your blind spots really quickly, um, one of the best things you can do is to find another Christian, another brother or sister in Christ, whose political views are the opposite of yours. Uh, and, you know, you can help each other <laughs> with each other's blind spots. But, but uh, you know, none of us is complete. None of us has, uh, none of us are, are completely killing it with, with, you know, getting things right uh, with everything. Right. And so if it's been a while since I can remember saying I was wrong or I'm sorry, uh, or will you help me understand if, if, if we don't have recent memory of, of saying those things, um, you know, again, it might be time to ask somebody that experiences us a, a lot, uh, what's it like to experience me um, and, you know, be open to what the Lord might teach us through that. And this, this might be parsing some facts here, but, you know, I, I think for some Christians too, it, it, there's a balance between, you know, we, we want to, we want to show that we are engaged and willing to fight on behalf of our friends who are suffering. Um, but like you said, there's also, you know, there's a, there's a time and a place where we need to listen rather than speak and be outspoken. How do we, how do we balance that? Cause we don't want to sit back and be passive and, and, you know, come across as if we're not doing anything, but also, you know, we don't, we don't want to do like what you're saying here and overstep or maybe do or say something we shouldn't say. I mean, that's a, it's such a tough balance, I think, to, to find. And I don't know that really anybody has the right game plan for it or playbook for it, but, um, you know, in your role as a pastor, maybe you have seen that play out. And, and as Christians, how can we walk that line graciously mm-hmm. and still show Jesus through all of that? Yeah. I mean, Jesus talked about speaking the truth in love. You know, he came full of grace and truth. Um, you know, consider the kindness and severity of God. You know, he, you know, Jesus occupies three offices, prophet, priest, and king. Uh, and you know, the more balanced we are in, in, you know, those three emphases in our own lives and communications, you know, the prophet being the one who speaks the truth, uh, boldly, uh, and, and willing to, you know, willing to suffer for it. Uh, uh, the person that's the, that's the prophet. The priest is the person who comes alongside and who's kind and pastoral and understanding and empathetic and approachable. That's the priest. You know, and the the king is is the one who says, you know, this is what it's going to be. Uh, this is the direction. Uh, let's let's go, and here's why. Uh, but a good king is going to going to do that also in the context of of continuing to lay down his or her own preferences, and um, will probably be a good listener, and will probably be good at building consensus and asking a lot of questions before deciding here's how we're going to charge ahead. Um, not everybody is called to be a king. In fact, most people aren't. Uh, everybody is called to be a prophet and a priest. And, you know, it's up to all of us to discern how God has uniquely wired us, how, wh- what's our major and what are our minors. And, um, you know, that has to do with our uniqueness. And so, 
like you're probably not going to find somebody who's who's a major in in being priestly um you know out there boldly and prophetically declaring something in the same way that you know you're probably not going to find somebody who majors in being a prophet um you know spending hours and days with you know walking alongside you know one or two struggling people even though both will have all the components in their lives. So we've got to discern how God's wired us. What's he calling us to do? What, what are the opportunities to love and serve he's put in front of us? Um, and, you know, figure out what it means in our context to dance that dance of, of truth and love. Um, yeah. So, you, you know, your, your position there in Nashville um, and it's been a, just like our country. I mean, it's been a pretty eventful spring and summer for Nashville specifically. Uh, I talked to Barnabas Piper at the very beginning of the coronavirus, and that was shortly after the tornado hit Nashville. And we were talking about, you know, how, how Nashville could respond to the, to the tornado relief efforts, despite the fact that the city was kind of still shut down um, Mm -hmm. because of the coronavirus. And obviously um, as the summer has progressed, there've been, you know, some, some protests and other things in Nashville as well. And it just seems like there's been a lot that's been going on in Nashville from the tornado to up until now with the racial stuff. I'm curious your role as a pastor. I mean, what have you seen uh, in terms of the, 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 the church community responding to these things? And, and obviously it's been a unique task with the coronavirus where trying to stay safe, but then obviously um, kind of has been disregarded with protests and that sort of thing. But in your role as a pastor, I mean, how have you seen your city and your, your church, your church congregation and and the church community in general respond uh, to these incidents and things that have happened in Nashville this summer? Well, I mean, we were, we were all, you know, rallied and resourced up to um, get behind local leadership uh, in the areas that have been most affected and, and, you know, quite frankly, ravaged by tornado damage. And sadly it hit the poorest and most uninsured areas of, of the metropolitan area. And then COVID-19 happened and, and which, you know, where people said, you know, you, you can't <laughs> be around each other. Right. Um, and, and, you know, to add insult to injury, those who are most affected, those, those communities that are most affected by a tornado are also most vulnerable to the coronavirus um, due to, you know, inadequate health care, um, inability to afford uh, or even be aware of, of, you know, diet and nutrition and exercise, you know, principles uh, et cetera. And, and, and so it's like a double whammy, uh, for a community that not only has been hit really hard, but there's no available, um, you know, people to, to come help them rebuild because the governor, the government is saying, stay away, (laughs) you know, uh, and you know, for legitimate reasons, obviously it's a, it's a virus that has not been friendly to a lot of people. And so, um, but we're, you know, we're, we're locked and loaded, uh, if, and when the time comes where announcements are made that, that, you know, those efforts can be re-engaged. Um, but we've been mostly, you know, redirecting resources to things like, uh, you know, f- food, um, banks and, 
and um, small business owners. Uh, we've we've helped uh, some financially vulnerable smaller churches, especially in minority communities and 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 in you know economically suffering communities. You know we've we've helped you know we've redirected some of our resources um, to assist um, to whatever degree we've been able and. I know there are a lot of other churches that are doing similar things. We're by no means, you know, unique in that, but um, we are a church that has resources and feel a great, you know, responsibility and calling toward our neighbors. And those are the limited ways we've been able to engage during this time. You know, and I've always found that one of the hardest things after a natural disaster like that, I've gotten to go on a a couple of mission trips down to the areas that were affected by Katrina. And that was years after the storm hit. And, um, you know, there was still quite a bit of damage and work that needed to be done. And and my wife and I drove around through Nashville a few weeks ago and and saw some of the affected areas. And there's still quite a bit that's, that needs to be done. There's still quite a bit that, you know, hasn't been replaced or or repaired. And I think that's always the struggle after a natural disaster is, you know, there's always that push at the beginning to go and, and participate in the relief efforts, but then a month or two goes by and kind of gets forgotten about. And so, you know, what are some ways obviously people can't really gather as much still to work on stuff and to go help repair. But I think you kind of mentioned it from your church, but what are maybe some other organizations um, in the Nashville area that, that people who are listening could maybe support from dis from a distance that, you know, could help those relief efforts from people that maybe need food or, or need help in other ways, you know, if they can't be there to physically help repair, what are some things that people can do from a distance? Yeah, I think, um, you know, financial resources are always helpful for, struggling nonprofits, um, you know, who were maybe flourishing before all this happened. But, um, you know, some of our personal, you know, go-tos and ones that we, we gladly partner with, uh, you know, because we, we believe in the work that they're doing would include Corner to Corner, um, which is directed by a guy named uh, Will Acuff. Um, and so, so that would be that would be one. Uh, another would be the next door, which deals with um, you know the addiction problem and uh, is is there especially to help uh, women uh, get out get back on their feet who have been plagued by uh, addiction as well as uh, things like sex trafficking. Um, let's see what else. Uh, you know, Preston Taylor is another one that we support, uh, as well as uh, Salome Clinic. Uh, Salome Clinic uh, provides uh, affordable health care to immigrant and refugee populations, especially in Nashville, who don't have access to affordable health care and health insurance and such. Um, I could go on, uh, <laughs> but, you know, I could just direct people to our website, ChristPres.org, and there's a, there's a page there. Um, that people can, you know, look at, and we've got our, you know, our partner nonprofits listed there. So shifting gears kind of back into your writing, you know, this is a, this is an election year and in my mm-hmm. small group, we chose to read Jesus outside the lines uh, sort of, you know, cause we knew what, what this year was going to bring uh, just kind of societally um, with, with an election year, it's always contentious, but I think, you know, with, with President Trump being in the, on the ballot, it's going to be contentious as well, just because of how polarizing his presidency has been. As Christians, I think it's going to be tempting, even 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 whether we're Christian or not, it's going to be tempting to get into these uh, 
online battles uh, that, that are going to ensue, whether you're involved politically, whether you're kind of just a bystander politically, it's going to be very tempting to get into these battles. And as Christians, we're called to respond a different way. And so, you know, both of your books are, I think, are great primers and great reads as we head into the election season. But for anybody who's listening that, you know, maybe is aware that they that they are tempted to you know, chime in on, on arguments online that they maybe shouldn't or uh, whatever the case is. I mean, what, what's, what's the, what's the best way that we can approach this as Christians, you know, to, to make sure people are seeing God's love through us and not just, you know, we're not just adding to the noise that exists on social media. It's plain and simple. Uh, exercise self-control and don't take your political rants to social media, you know, start there. Um, instead, maybe take this entire year to read what people that you disagree with say and say, oh, tell me more. I'd love to learn more uh, from your perspective. Start there. Um, newsflash, pro tip. You have never once persuaded somebody to change their politics uh, through a political rant on your social media. I promise you, you have never persuaded somebody to change their mind. Uh, and you're probably not going to uh, in, in the future. And uh, you've probably deterred them further uh, away from your perspective with, with a rant. And so, um, you know, try something different and see how it goes. It'll probably go better. <laughs> so what's been the reaction from, from, uh, to your, your newest book? I mean, I know that you know, it's been out for a few weeks now, and um, I've seen a lot of people that I follow posting about it too, and, and have enjoyed it, you know, just fr- from your own perspective. I mean, what, what's been the reaction to it? Uh, I'm sure you've gotten different, you know, different takes on different sides of it, but, um, mm-hmm. I think it's a very, like I said earlier, it's a very necessary book right now. Um, but you know, from your perspective as the author, what's been the reaction and, and you know, how, how has that been for you? It's been very positive. Um, you know, I got a, a got on a call, I guess, uh, late last week with the publisher and they said it's, it's, you know, circulating, uh, really well. And a lot of people are reading, commenting, you know, leaving reviews, things like that. And, and that's always a good sign that, that it's out there and the ideas are churning. Um, and I'm even, you know, starting to hear from ministry leaders where we're, we're taking, our small group or even our entire small group ministry or our entire church or our entire campus ministry through this, this is going to be our, you know, Bible study, uh, our small group study for the fall or for, and that's what I'd hoped, you know, I'd, I'd hope that this would be material that Christians especially would be engaging um, during a time where it's especially tempting to, um, to, um, start participating in outrage culture and, and trying to call for a different way, I guess. Yeah. So, but I'm getting a lot of, a lot of encouragement to your question. You know, November's coming up and it's just, I, 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 I worry about how, you know, this year has just been so crazy that I just, I worry about, you know, how, how vitriolic it could be in November uh, just, you know, with everything that's so polarizing with all of this, you know, and, we've kind of already talked about it, but it's just, you know, what's kind of the, what's the, what's the main thing that as a Christian, aside from just kind of staying, you know, shutting up and listening. I mean, uh, if, if we want to be involved, 
how do we do that with grace? Cause I think some Christians were just not as we're, we're not disciplined enough. So, you know, I'm, I'm speaking for myself too. I'm not disciplined in some areas to, to not shut up and just be quiet. But you know, if we want to be involved uh, I mean, is the first step just reading and listening and then, and then deciding when and where to, to talk or um, you know, how would you counsel somebody that they want to be involved, but they also don't want to cause more issues than, than yeah. be a light. Here's how not to cause an issue. Um, go private with your, <laughs> with your concerns and with your statements and ask somebody in your life uh, who see th- sees things opposite that you do. Um, here's something I wrote. Am I rec- am I representing you and those who think like you uh, in a way that you would want to be represented? Uh, am I representing you with perfect accuracy and zero um, uh, speculation, caricature, um, attributing motives and ideas to you that you don't have. Mm-hmm. Uh, am I succeeding at that? Because I want to make sure behind the scenes that I'm succeeding at that before I say anything public. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's like, that's step one. If you want to be persuasive, uh, that's step one. If you want to actually have character uh, online uh, as you disagree with people, uh, it's actually, I, I think if, more than anything, it's a question of character. Uh, if we're willing to paint people in ways that they would not paint themselves and, and speak for them in ways that they would not speak for themselves, we've got a character problem. And either that or we've got a perception problem. And so, you know, have friendships behind the scenes. And uh, I might upset some of your listeners by saying this. If you don't have friends in your real life that, uh, that, that you're having these conversations with, uh, you know, respectfully, with mutual respect, um, you know, and, and so on, then don't presume to be a voice out there on the internet because you don't have credibility. Uh, if you don't have relationships, you're not qualified for a debate. You should not. Uh, and, and I know that's probably gonna sound extreme, it's true, though. But, but if your goal is to persuade people, and maybe that's not your goal, if your goal is to be right and put people in their place uh, and join an online idea mob <laughs> uh, and cancel people, then have at it. Um, but but if, if, you, if your goal is to persuade people and to have integrity in the way that you engage ideas, then you have to do the hard work of getting to know actual human beings who represent the other side of of a discussion um that gives you credibility um that your ideas all by themselves because you wrote a book or you heard it on your favorite cable news channel uh will give you yeah i think persuasion is the way to go for people who identify as followers of christ i don't think putting people in their place i mean let's look at how well that's worked in my lifetime Mm -hmm. not really well um, you know, the, the moral majority movement of the eighties and nineties was a failed project. Um, you know, Trumpism, uh, you know, the sort of conflating Donald Trump with Christianity completely failed project. Um, 
conflating right-leaning or left-leaning politics with Christianity, always a failed project, mm -hmm. uh, always a failed, unpersuasive, infuriating project. Uh, and, and so let's learn from history and, um, you know, actually start getting to know humans, um, you know, who have stories and other things that influence their perspective. Yeah. And I, I love all that. That's love your perspective, obviously as a pastor hearing from all this, cause it's, you know, it's just, I don't get to talk to a lot. I talked to a few pastors for this podcast. Most of what I talk to are authors and I think always, you know, talking to, to somebody who um, obviously preaches the word it's, comes with a different level of, of credibility. And one of the things that I, I always, you know, I have enjoyed talking to the pastors about that I've had on this show is, you know, you guys were faced with a very unique situation with COVID-19 and how to shepherd your church through that um, and deciding when and how to reopen and, and how to deliver what your church normally does to your congregation. You, you know, our church here, we pretty much kept the same program and we just did it all digital, you know, mm -hmm. as, as a pastor at your church, you know, how did you, how did you, how, what did that decision-making process look like for you? And um, how difficult was it to, to, to navigate this time as a pastor? Well, you know, just like COVID-19 and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like you and everybody else, we had to pivot. We had to get really creative really fast and do a lot of learning uh, from, from others really fast and, uh, it was also really humbling because I've, I've, I've never been a fan at all of online church. Uh, I just, I, I don't, I've just never been a fan of it and, and I've criticized it in my heart. And, and then we find ourselves scrambling, how do we do online church? Uh, and, and so it's humbling and, you know, we've learned a lot through the process, but, but yeah, we, we started with live streaming and, um, you know, we kind of learned as, as we went, how to do that better and better and better. It was a little rough at the beginning and got a little less rough over time. And now we feel like we've got a, a pretty, pretty decent system of, of live streaming and then making the service available for replay after that. And, um, and so now, but now you know, for the last three weeks, we've, we've also opened up in a very limited way to in-person worship. Uh, we take, uh, we take uh, reservations and we place people so that we can do tracking and tracing. If somebody reports that they have, you know, coronavirus, we can, we can look at who was sitting around them and notify them as well. And so we're doing safety measures, asking people to wear masks, especially during singing uh, and coming and going. And so it's wonky. It's weird. It feels like you're in a left behind movie. Yeah. Um, but, but, um, but you know, it's, it's what the Lord has given us to, to navigate. And, and there's been some really sweet things about the time as well. It's, I think kind of reawakened us and, and believers all over the place about, you know, Hey, you know, this is, this is getting us back to really what this is all about, trusting the Lord and, and, cultivating community together and supporting one another. And so it's been really sweet, um, you know, getting more simple in the way that we do things. And so it'll be interesting to see what things look like for everybody a year from now. Yeah. I don't know. It's a mystery. So. You know, and I, I've, this is maybe just the optimistic side of me that's, that's looking at this, but you know, I think there might be some people that um, 
being able to watch a church service online or through Facebook or something might've been their first introduction to a church or maybe a reintroduction to a church. I think I'm hoping that there were, you know, a lot of people that during this time maybe came back to the church. And I don't know if you've seen that specifically at your church, but I guess, you know, from talking to a few pastors, it seems like that's, you know, that's something that's happened at least to a small degree. And if there's anything positive that, you know, I think there's obviously more than just this one positive, but I think that that can be a positive that comes out of that. Um, hopefully that's something that's, that they, they stick around and, and keep mm-hmm. coming back to church. And, um, you know, we may see even just churches start doing an, an, a new way to do things. Like for instance, my church um, on Monday nights, they have small groups that just get together through zoom and talk about the sermon. And, you know, that's something that we never did before. We never got mm-hmm. together after church or anything and talked about the sermon. And so we're kind of finding unique ways to build a community. And, you know, I think in all aspects, I mean, I'm a, I'm a teacher and I think there will be aspects of this that change teaching and education going forward that we'll see different ways. And mm-hmm. hope if, if, if anything that comes good comes out of this 2020 craziness that maybe uh, we've learned some new ways to do things that benefit things in the future. So we'll, we'll see what that looks like down the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you moved from from New York to Nashville, uh, and you've been there for several years. And my wife and I love Nashville just culturally. I mean, just uh, as a human, what are what are some of your favorite things to do there in Nashville? And what have you enjoyed the most about living there? Uh, just recreationally, live music. Uh, it's hard to beat. Um, there's usually two or three concerts you can pick from every night here, which is pretty amazing. Um, uh, it's a foodie town, so we we love to go out. Mm-hmm. you know have dinner together and do that with friends uh hiking it's a great city to you know there's so many you know it's what i'm going to do after this with a friend is is you know hit one of the one of the trails and one of the beautiful parks um there's, there's a lot you know um got you know three major universities here and and all you know campus life and so there, you know, there's also a lot of a lot of really fun stuff to to get to be part of but you know our favorite thing about nashville is our church you know? yeah we, we love our church and and our people and and the calling that god's given us what are your favorite restaurants there in nashville Ooh, uh that's a hard one i mean it depends on who's buying um <laughs> you know <laughs> if somebody else is is buying there are a couple of steak places i really like one is called cane prime and uh, the other is called Jeff Ruby's, uh, which is downtown. But uh, yeah, we we there's some good barbecue places, Edley's and Martin's especially. Uh, we we like a lot. Um, some good Thai food, a place called the Smiling Elephant, which is one of our favorites. I could go on. <laughs> yeah, my wife and I usually try to go down to Nashville at least at least once a month for like a date night or dinner night mm-hmm. or something. And yeah. so she's really good about like sh- almost all of the authors and podcasters that she follows live in or around Nashville. And so she picks yeah. up on a lot of good spots to go to. So mm-hmm. she's a, she's a nice Nashville tour guide for us. So it's like every week we go down yeah. there, anytime we go down there, it's like a new place. It's like, Hey, I heard this place on Andy yeah. Downs' podcast or in this book, we sure. go check it out. So yeah, go to the Gulch. There's Fifth and Taylor. Oh, yeah. There's Walt, Rolf and Daughters. There's We've some... been to Rolf and Daughters. Yeah, that one's mm-hmm. good. Yeah, Stay Golden so is a good coffee just shop. Just bring a bring a credit card that you know is 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 a good distance away from its limit. Um, <laughs> so it won't be cheap, but yeah, it's good. 
Well, the last question I always like to ask my guests on this show, the show is called In No Hurry. Um, and so I always like to, to learn from people, you know, when, when life is life is busy for you, you got, you know, when it's crazy, and you can't seem to slow down. What do you do to kind of force yourself to slow down and just kind of recenter your focus and recalibrate your mind a little bit and just kind of relax and have fun? Uh, we, so we had this porch. Um, we, we built this porch last summer and we just love hanging out there. Um, you know, we read, we talk, we have a glass of wine, we eat dinner. Um, and the really cool thing is our backyard backs up to the woods. And a lot of times like wildlife will walk through our backyard, like deer looking for weeds and stuff to eat. And, um, and so it's just kind of an oasis for us. So we really enjoy that. But they're all, our porch, I think, is probably my answer. But we have all kinds of things we do back there uh, to relax and enjoy life. So, oh, yeah, there's a TV back there, too, so we can watch some <laughs> Netflix if we want. So, yeah. not much, You can't watch much sporting events right now. but uh, No, at least not from this year. Um, yeah. You can watch one from 1987 or something. Yeah. <laughs> We're, I'm, I'm hopeful baseball is supposed to be starting up in mm -hmm. July, but I'm a little mm -hmm. nervous with all of the reports from college football yeah. training camps and NFL training camps where guys are coming back with COVID-19. I just, it's hard for me to really get excited. Mm. It's like a cautious optimism. Right. I right. can't, I can't see how, how the season actually happens, mm -hmm. at least not in full. I just, I don't know. I, I hope it does, but I just, I can't. Yeah. I can't see it, so. Well, Scott, thank you for, for joining the show. This is really this is really nice to talk to you. And uh, your book, A Gentle Answer, is out. For anybody uh, looking for a, a way to approach this potentially contentious election, election season, you know, definitely recommend that. Also, Jesus Outside the Lines, uh, which you wrote several years ago. But, but I think both of those are great reads as we approach mm. the fall and the election season. And gosh, who knows what else 2020 is going to bring between now mm. and then. Because... I just have no idea. That's kind of what I've learned is every day I wake up and I'm like, I don't know what today is going to bring. I think yeah. I always keep forgetting what day it is and even what month it is. It feels like it's already November, but it's, sure. you know, still the middle of summer. So right. uh, who knows what, who knows what the rest of the year is going to bring, but, but thank yeah. you so much for joining. Um, if people want to connect with you, what's kind of the best way for them to reach out to you? Uh, probably just my website, scottsalls.com. Everything's there. The church, stuff I've written, my weekly blog, sermons, all that. You can just go there. All right. Well, Scott, thanks so much. Uh, and uh, talk to you hopefully sometime soon. My pleasure. Yeah, I hope to see you out in Nashville sometime. <laughs> well, I am so grateful for Scott and his wisdom on this topic, especially during a year that has already been so contentious and is only likely to be more contentious as we get closer and closer to the election in November. If you have not already, make sure that you check out Scott's new book, A Gentle Answer. As we talked about in the conversation, I think it's just a great and necessary read right now in the middle of what has been a contentious and crazy year. Hey, make sure that you give Scott a follow on social media. I will have his links in the show notes. Make sure you reach out to him. Let him know that you enjoyed hearing him on this show. And if you guys need to get in touch with me, you can find me at Cole Claiborne on pretty much any social media platform. I would also love for you to sign up for my newsletter. There's a link in my show notes for that. I send out a newsletter every single Monday with a devotional and 
sometimes some sales on some books, some other book deals and links to my podcast and some other fun stuff. So I'd love for you to be a part of that. I've really enjoyed sending those out every Monday and hopefully encouraging those of you that read every Monday. But it's so good to be back after a short break. Thank you guys for tuning in. As always, I hope you guys have a great week. Hope you guys find some time to relax and not be in a hurry. And we'll see you next week.